Welcome to Tuesdays with Andrea. It's the inspiration station for everyday people guiding humanity forward. I'm your host, Andrea Rios McMillan, and every week I pursue conversations that matter with people who can relate to the common struggles we all face. You'll get to know the person behind the profession and find commonality with people of all ages, cultures, and backgrounds. Listen as friends, neighbors, and coworkers offer meaningful, personal explorations of modern life and the values we hold dear, all for the purpose of strengthening and uplifting others. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Tuesdays with Andrea podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Rios McMillan. And today we have special guest, Sarah Wong, who has an incredible journey and you're here to share it with us today. So I'm excited to have you as a guest. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Andrea. So tell us about your upbringing. Let's start from the beginning. I know that you talked about being adopted and how, Mm -hmm. you know, finding uh, more about your self-identity helped you overcome barriers and now building a business of your own and speaking engagements. Um, So let's start from the beginning. How did this all happen? Where did it start? Yeah. So I was born in South Lake Tahoe in March, 1991, March 25th, 1991. And it was the biggest snowstorm of the year, kind of welcome to the world and the (laughs) biggest snowstorm of 91. And uh, I was adopted actually from birth. So I went right to my uh, adoptive family as a newborn baby. My childhood was, I have to say, beautiful, lovely, wonderful. Uh, My family is super amazing, like the most supportive, just wonderful people. I have a sister as well who was also adopted. She's not blood related to me, but we had just a great family unit. But I started to struggle with my self-identity I would say pretty early on, I started having questions about where I come from. There were certain personality traits or little quirks or qualities about me that were so much different than my family. And it made me curious to know like where it could possibly come from. Mm. So that curiosity kind of grew with time. And as as I got into like my mid twenties, after I got out of college, I actually received a, a letter that my parents had saved and they had been saving it for me for like the appropriate time to give it to me from my birth mom. And they gave it to me like right after I graduated college. And of course, receiving that letter at this time of like, you know, here I am like trying to find my footing as a young woman in the world, finding a place for me to adjust and really finding my spot in the world grew more and more challenging as I got a little bit older. Uh, And around 25 or so, you know, I really started to, struggle with my self-identity and those questions grew, you know, more and more and more like, you know, questions about my health history, questions about certain personality traits or certain interests of mine that are just so different than my family. I'm thinking um, about just the very little information that I had about my biological family, sort of trying to put those pieces together. And it actually played into quite a bit of mental health trauma for me. I was struggling to find my footing in that area. So did you know, did your parents um, know anything more about your birth family when you were younger? And were you aware of any other history or relation or ability to connect at a younger age? So very minimal. There was a couple of things that I had always known. So I knew I was half Korean and half white. The white side, my parents thought was mostly Irish 
and turns out I ended up doing the ancestry around maybe five or six years ago and I got the results back and the results have actually changed quite a bit with time because I guess the ancestry DNA is based on you know, who submits DNA. So with time, my profile, when it originally came back five years ago, it was still not super clear, like where exactly I was from. A lot of it, they like, weren't really quite sure. With time, I found out that it's actually mostly Scottish and Breton. Breton is like the like true Brits, like the, the, the indigenous sort of British people, I would say. So that's like my white side, I found out. And then my birth father was 100% 100% Korean. With time, I I sort of got answers to that. And was your adopted family, were they also of Korean descent or white as well? So yeah, so actually that's where my biological mother, I know she was very excited to find my parents and match me with them because my dad's not Korean, but he's Chinese and my mom is white. So I was able to integrate very well into, you know, their family. I would say most people probably wouldn't have even known that I was adopted if they saw our family unit. But you still felt like maybe something was missing. Yeah. And my parents were always honest with me about my adoption, which is something that I appreciate. They never like, you know, they didn't tell me at a certain age. They didn't wait until a certain age and tell me like, I, I always knew, like, as I remember even as a little kid, them saying like, you know, you come from different parents and we are your parents. And they were always very clear about my adoption, which is something I really do appreciate in what they did for me. Yeah. And your mom found them. Yeah. So I guess they they were biological mom. Yeah. They were working through an adoption lawyer at the time, not necessarily an agency, which is actually what made it even more difficult for me to find my biological mother because there wasn't like a a large adoption agency that I could turn to. My parents gave me the information for the adoption lawyer that they had spoken with about the same time that they gave me that letter. But me being like a young girl sort of on my own, like I didn't have all the resources to really pursue finding them. And it really took doing the DNA stuff and, and looking back through my ancestry to actually find my biological, I ended up actually finding my biological grandparents phone number. That was how I ended up actually getting back in touch with my biological family last year. Wow. So this was all within like one year. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been about a year since I reached out to my biological family and the changes that have happened in my life. I don't know if it's just due to this or due to the pandemic and COVID and all of the other stuff that's been going on in the world. But, you know, it was just sort of like, about a year ago, you know, it, it was actually about, about a year ago to the day. Uh, I think it wow. was maybe November 28th or something like that, the day that I reached out to them. So, wow, um, you're almost at your one year anniversary. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. And I, gosh, it was just like, I can't tell you how incredible it was to to talk to my blood family for the first time in my life. I was, I was 28, I'm 29 now, but I was 28 years old. And I just, that was one of those other kind of thoughts that was in my mind was like, man, I'm 28 years old and I've never spoken to somebody that I'm blood related to, you know, like that's, it was just such a weird thing to reconcile with. And like, especially as I'm surrounded by people constantly talking about their family and their, you know, like their blood and like all these things. And I was just always like, it created like this sense of envy and jealousy within me that I just really had to like, at a certain point, I knew that I had to pursue finding them and that it was it was up to me to do that. And I had to take that step for myself and sort of release some of the fears that I was holding on to about 
reaching out to them. <laughs> Backing up a little bit. So you yeah. said it started to come out, like uh, you started to um, recognize the need to reach out to, and find your family. Mm-hmm. And how was that showing up in your everyday life? Like how, what was those things that happened that made you self-assess at that point? I would say that that sort of self-assessment again started probably about that same time that I got that letter because I had sort of created this narrative in my mind up until that point that my biological mother really didn't have a much interest in meeting me, you know, that she made her decision and that was her decision. And I never really had any information to the contrary that maybe she did want to meet me. (laughs) And then this letter sort of confirmed that the letter she said, you know, please try to find me someday. I would love to meet you. And that sort of opened up the door for me in my mind to think. Is that all the letter said? You know, it just, it, it said more than that, obviously. Yeah, it said, but that you know, was the message. Yeah, she made it very clear that she loved me, that she made this decision because she knew she wasn't ready to have a child, but she didn't obviously want to make another decision. You know, she wanted she wanted to bring me to life, but she just wasn't capable at that point. She was 18 at the time. You know, she wasn't capable of keeping a baby. And just, the, just always in throughout my life, knowing that about her, like, man, to be an 18-year-old woman, and make that decision like she must be like a really strong person woman yeah yeah exactly just simply knowing that about her and made me like at minimum want to reach out to her just to like thank her for making that decision because she really did give herself a better opportunity and turns out she's a a physicist. Uh, She ended up getting a a master's degree in physics and she's, you know, working at a university in Louisiana. And I imagine had she had a a baby at age 18, she maybe wouldn't have been able to pursue that career. So it's a positive adoption story. I know there's a lot of sort of negative adoption stories out there, and I'm really happy and excited to share my story since it is such a positive story about adoption. Yeah. What did your adopted parents think or say to you when you told them, hey, I want to I want to pursue this? So that has been that was probably the reason why I waited for so long is because my parents and my sister have different feelings about this. And they basically told me that there wasn't like a major reason for me to reach out to them and that they were my family. And I think what contributed to that is my sister, when she was two or so, about the time I was born, her biological mother tried to like take her back. Like she tried to go through the legal process to take her back. So that I know was probably quite traumatic for both her and my parents. And while I totally, you know, Like I as well was scared of that for my situation too. I was like, well, if I reach out to my family, like who knows what they would do. Um, But I, I, after enough time, I had to sort of realize that that was her situation and that my situation is, is much different. And again, because my mental health was being so impacted and I was so paranoid and I just felt this deep need. And I also had that letter sort of confirming like, Hey, if you can, please reach out to me someday. All of these things were lining up that were, screaming at me like you have to do this even if your family isn't like 100% on board with it if this is something that you need to do for your mental health and for your personal wellness and for your life 
I know your family will get behind you eventually. And that's exactly what happened. My whole family is now very supportive of the fact that I've made this decision to reach out to them. And they see that not only has, you know, our, our relationship has actually grown much stronger throughout this last year because they were also feeling the repercussions of my like impacted mental health when I had so many questions and when I was struggling so much with my identity. So Mm -hmm. in the long run, it ultimately was the best decision and it was the best decision for me. And that was probably the biggest lesson that I took away from it. I would say to anybody out there who's like having questions or they're not certain about something or their family's telling them or their external people in their life are telling them, oh, you shouldn't do that. But they're feeling like maybe they should do it. I say, you know, go for it, try it. Like you have to do the right things for yourself. Sometimes you have to prioritize your own needs sometimes Mm -hmm. over the needs of like what maybe your friends and family might be telling you to do. And that's a really hard thing to go against your parents, right? Especially as a young adult, right? And, and I can imagine as, and being adopted and they chose you, they wanted you, they cared for you and raised you. They they dealt with your teenage years, you know, teenagers are not easy. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I wasn't easy. They supported me through so, so much. I mean, I had a major injury at age 12 and they were right there by my side through my whole entire life, you know, helping nurse me through multiple surgeries. And they, I just can't express enough how grateful I am for my parents, Mm -hmm. but you know, not knowing where I come from and not having that origin story was kind of creating this void inside of me. And it, it, again, it was, it was negatively impacting my whole life, my career. I wasn't able to do much within my career at the time because I didn't know who I was. So how did that blockage like come up, like in terms of your career and your social life in general, like how did you equate, this is a factor here. What, What were some of those questions or thoughts that were coming to your mind that helped you become aware of this is this is a deep issue and I want to uncover it yeah so you know it was just incredible amounts of self-doubt you know just non-stop thoughts of paranoia like maybe I'm an alien maybe I come from another planet like who knows you know just insane you know really kind of out there thoughts and but I don't belong here I don't belong here exactly and at the same time like in feeling sort of like an alien, like what added into that was also like, I was always a bit of a black sheep within my family, even like in my high school, like I never quite fit in anywhere. And so all of that just continued to sort of add fuel into the fire of me. Like, I don't know who I am, you know, like, why can't I fit in anywhere? Why is this such a struggle? You know, why, why, like looking around, I see all these people in these communities and they're like, you know, it's so easy for them, but I'm always like, it's always so hard for me to like find my place and to feel like I fit in. And it, it was always stemming back to that internal dialogue in my mind of like, well, you don't know where you come from. You don't know, you don't really know, you know? So for me personally, that was a huge huge thing. And then after that, and you, now you have the letter, you read it, you're like, my mom is open to, to a, a connection. Yeah. So did you, how did you go about that process of getting in contact with your, I think, grandparent, you said? So at the time I was actually working at a job that it was not the best job for me. It, I was not really good at, at what I was supposed to be doing. I have to admit, but I, I know now that the reason that I worked at that job was for this purpose, but 
my colleague at the time, he was really into genealogy and ancestry and doing his own personal genealogy. Like he would talk about how his ancestor was on the Mayflower and he was very proud, you know, it was very yeah. sweet. Uh, and so he kind of saw some of the struggles and I, because it was so at the surface for me, like I couldn't help but like mention from time to time that I was struggling with this. And so he actually helped me with finding my biological grandparents' phone numbers. I gave him some of my ancestry information and he actually came back again, it was about a year ago. And he said, Hey, Sarah, I think I found your grandparents' phone number. And I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> and so immediately I closed, I had an office at the time. I closed my office door. I picked up my little phone and I, I dialed the number and a sweet gentleman answered. And on the other side was my biological grandfather. And I talked to him for maybe five or 10 minutes. And then he handed the phone over to my biological grandmother and me and what her. did you say hi I'm Sarah yeah did they yeah. know about you <laughs> they did they did and that but like in hindsight now like it could have gone so much worse you know because like if they hadn't known about me like that would have been dropping like such a massive bomb on them like yeah and I didn't really think it through but Thankfully, they did know about me. They were totally aware. They obviously hadn't thought about me in a long time, but they did say that like throughout all these years that they were thinking of me and that they did wonder and they were curious because they knew that I existed out there somewhere. But the most exciting and fascinating thing of all of this is that my biological grandma was also adopted from birth. Wow. And yeah, so finding that, I mean, I like when I say like, I had never really met people that I like fully understood. And it was really hard for me to like find a community or find people that like understood my situation in life. Like here is this woman who's my biological grandmother who was also adopted, who, you know, her life looks very different than mine, but like the feelings and the experience that she had, like we now like understand that. And the conversations that I've had with her throughout this last year have just been unbelievable. And she also had a curiosity to find out who she is and where we come from. So this curiosity to know, like, it has to be something from within my blood, right? Like knowing this from her. And so turns out that she ended up basically spent like three years doing her personal genealogy. So she's been, you know, working back throughout history, trying to find like out where she comes from and our ancestry. So she actually ended up sending me <laughs> all of the information that she found out about our ancestry. So I went from like not knowing anything, having no idea where I come from to having her send me an archive, lineage. <laughs> an archive of our whole ancestral history. So it's like you ask for the answers and they come to you. And I'm very fortunate that, you know, I received the answers that I was looking for and they've been incredibly enlightening and exciting. Yeah. And what did your mom say? So after that, they, you know, you talked to them too. How did you get in contact with your mom for the first time? Yeah. So they contacted her. They let her know that I found their phone number and that I had reached out and she needed a little bit of time to sort of yeah. process. And I was like, okay, well, I, I gave myself 28 years 
to reach out to her. So if she needs to take a little bit of time to be comfortable reaching out to me, I can understand that. But it, it took her maybe about two, two or three weeks. Me and her ended up talking, I would say maybe early December last year, we had a conversation for the first time. And me and her have been texting back and forth and we've had a pretty regular communication. Yeah. And this yeah. is right before COVID too. So is she in the U.S.? Yes. So they're all in the South. My grandparents are in Missouri and she's in Louisiana. Okay. And where have you, have you been able to see them since? Unfortunately, no. That is sort of the big damper of the pandemic was, of course, finding them and communicating with them. I have never been to that part of the United States. I'm from California. So obviously that's like a totally different cultural experience, which is something that I would love to do. But with COVID, you know, no traveling. It's going to have to pause for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, maybe next year. So what did she say when you guys talked on the phone? Oh, God, she we, we were both, I think, equally as stunned. You know, she was just like she was grateful that I finally reached out to her. Were you and, so nervous? Oh, God, I was so nervous. I, I was so nervous. And it turns out, actually, that I have two other siblings. So she has two other daughters uh, so I actually have two half blood sisters that I didn't know about. And I funnily enough, like, cause like in my family, like in my adoptive family, I'm the baby, I'm the young one, but I've always felt like an older sibling and turns out that I have two you younger are. siblings. So yeah, <laughs> I think all of this has shown me like so much of these things that I felt throughout my life have been like sort of real. Real, like I felt these things through my intuition throughout my entire life and having so much of it verified through my experience now has helped me really understand like the power of intuition and the power of the knowledge that we have embedded within ourselves. Within our like genomes, Exactly. They say that the history lives in our cells. And yeah, and if you can do the right things to access it, you know, you can gain all sorts of wisdom and all sorts of information simply through meditation, diving back into yourself and those sort of things. And that's been another sort of huge change for me throughout this year is finding them has really helped me in my spiritual journey and, and finding more solace and comfort within myself, where I was just living in so much doubt. Like I said before, I had so much doubt, so much uncertainty, so much fear, so much confusion about my existence. And all of those questions have been answered now. It's been, yeah. You mentioned like before there was a lot of doubt, a lot of self-harm to some degree. Yeah. Um, Do you feel like this has answered some of that as well? And, and, And do you feel like those are still issues? If I was to continue doing sort of some of the bad behavior that I had been participating in before, like that was sort of an additional downside, I think, to the lifestyle that I was living before. Uh, I was living a very destructive lifestyle. You know, I was I was feeding myself with, I was feeding my anxiety basically with, you know, bad diet, not a good sleep schedule. You know, I wasn't drinking enough water. I wasn't exercising well enough. I just wasn't really taking care of myself. And th- this connection for me and finding this part of myself again, it inspired me to like, do better and be better, right? Like now knowing who my ancestors are, now knowing the precedent that they've set, it's really inspired me to change my life and to be better. And I've now translated that back into my career. And I, as you said at the beginning, I've started my own business and it's a very moral and ethical business where I'm I'm aiming to help people uh, find their own version of their pathway because 
that's my story. Like I was able to find my personal path and hopefully now I can shepherd and help other people find their paths as well. You know, maybe they weren't adopted. Maybe they don't have the same story as me, but I do believe that we all have that little light inside of us that we can find. And once you find that it's extremely powerful. And from even just me within the last year, the amount of change that I've made just from prioritizing self-care and my needs has been incredible. The metamorphosis 101, is that the, yeah. your business? Yes. And, and so what what is that? What do you do? What are the services that you're providing? Absolutely. Yeah. So metamorphosis 101 is a life and career coaching business. Uh, I started, so basically my career prior to sort of going down the wrong path, I was working with military veterans as they transition out of service at a nonprofit called Swords to Plowshares wonderful nonprofit in San Francisco and Oakland. I was there for about three years and I loved doing that work. I loved doing one-on-one support as well as helping larger groups of veterans find employment opportunities. And I, at the time, like wasn't really prioritizing doing work that is the best work for me. I was prioritizing like having the best job title and making a lot of money and, you know, those sort of things. And so I left my job at Swords to Plowshares and ended up not being in the best positions for me, right? And as I found myself unemployed earlier this year, again, for the second time in my life, I was like, okay, I had to really stop and take toll of like what I actually wanted to do. And at this time now I had so much more of this information about myself and I felt so much more strong and armed and capable to actually start and pursue my own thing. I had always been interested in entrepreneurship and starting my own business that had sort of always been my pathway. I was like, well, eventually I want to start doing my own thing. And the opportunity presented itself earlier this year. I found myself unemployed right before the pandemic. And I at first was like, okay, well, I'm going to do freelance work. I'm just going to be a freelancer because I knew I was eligible for unemployment. So I was like, I'm just going to try to take this time to figure it out. Then COVID hit and the unemployment rate started spiking. And I started looking around and seeing millions of people losing jobs, many of them people who have never lost a job before. You know, many of them had been working consistently throughout their entire life. And so I thought, man, this is a really unique time to help these people, you know, because I I think that many people that lost their jobs did think to themselves like, man, do I want to go back to do the same kind of work as what I was doing before? Do I want to maybe try something different? Mm -hmm. And in thinking that maybe I can help people transition away from what they were doing into something that helps them find more of their passion and work a job that actually fulfills more of what they really want to be doing. I was like, that's what I want to do. So I shifted from wanting to do freelance like content creation to career coaching. And ever since then, it sort of just snowballed. Like I had a couple clients come to me just through like my direct referrals, actually through my old job from sorts to plowshares. And just ever since then, it's just sort of snowballed. And about it's been about six months since I started Metamorphosis 101. And it's just really taking off. And it's been so exciting. <laughs> That's awesome. So you, you know, it, it's true what you say, there's a lot of people in transition right now. And yeah. even more so recognizing maybe my job wasn't as meaningful or fulfilling as I wanted it to be. Maybe there's something more inside of me that I want to offer. And so when people come to you in that state, what's your process for being able to coach them through that? 
Yes, getting a good version of their resume, getting a good version of their LinkedIn profile, you know, those are base level things that can help to build up your confidence. Yeah, like what are your basic skills? What is your history and background? Exactly. And if you have a really good looking, clean, fresh resume that you're proud to present to employers, that helps you be more confident throughout the application process. I also like to teach the strategy behind how to present yourself the best in your career, as well as like if somebody is making a full-blown transition into a completely different field, I know the ways in which you can um, represent yourself to not look like you're a newbie in this field, but to borrow all of the skills that you've done, right? Which is where my experience working with veterans has, has helped me in this so much is because veterans, you know, have done so many things in the military and then they come out and they're like, well, I don't know what to do in my job. And I'm like, well, let's look at what you did in the military. No, let's take a look. And when you start to see like all of the different assignments and the tasks and the things that they did, it's like, well, look at this, you know, look, there's this type of job. It's sort of like, matchmaking a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny because I have a girlfriend who was in the military and she said the same thing on another podcast. She's like, I didn't feel like I had the skills that everybody else had. I'm like, what? It's so crazy because you were in the military and you have so much translatable skills, but sometimes it's just knowing the language or sometimes it's knowing where that match happens and terms and the language is different depending on industry and field but yeah. they carry over into marketing yourself or presenting yourself in a in a way that um, allows you to shine and allows you to highlight your best uh, skills and and attributes. A- absolutely, yeah, and that's exactly what I like to help people do. I like to help shining that light in a place where maybe they can't see. Like I, lo- I love to use the analogy of like the crystal cave, right? If you're in a dark crystal cave but there's no light, then you won't be able to see the beauty. But if you can shine that light, you can start to see the beauty in the darkness, you know, and that's sort of what I like to do, especially as folks are going through these transitions is, you know, living in a global pandemic. I just like to sort of use perspective to help people. Yeah. Perspective is important, especially when you're young. And it's amazing that you're able to look at the world and look at a global pandemic with such hope, with such brightness, right? Like there's a lot of options here. We're not stuck. There's just a pivot that maybe sometimes you got to make. I think that's awesome. I know you talked about in your past, you've had um, issues with eating disorders, social anxieties, Mm -hmm. and you're diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. Yeah. So Can you talk a little bit about that? What is that? And how did you get diagnosed with? I didn't even know that was a diagnose. Yeah. So, okay. So generalized anxiety disorder, I'll start there sort of describing what generalized anxiety disorder is. So basically where most people sort of rest at a neutral state, I rest at anxious. I'm an anxious person. I'm anxious about everything. That's what the generalized anxiety is. Some people with anxiety disorders only have social anxiety or they only have anxiety. Maybe they're agoraphobic or they're scared of going places. I have general anxiety about like everything. And it's basically like when it's unmanaged and I don't have the appropriate care in my life, it becomes so overwhelming that I can barely function. I can barely do much. When I left Swords to Plowshares, and went to that tech job um, and went to a big giant tech company on a contract. I was getting paid like double what I was getting paid at the nonprofit, but 
and that was sweet and nice for the three months that I was there. But of course, I ended up losing that position, being thrown out to the wolves with no other real opportunities at the time. And that just sort of accelerated the generalized anxiety. I started get, you know, and of course, like my plan going into that tech company was actually to start seeing a therapist and to, you know, get into mental health care. But of course, losing that position before my health care kicked in and then now being, you know, unemployed, no health care, I sort of went the opposite direction. I wasn't able to take care of, of the issues until a year or so after that, January of 2019, when I I got my new my other job at a different nonprofit October of 2018 and then 3 months after that my healthcare kicked in so that's why right around January of 2019 is when I started finally seeing a therapist but I had known since maybe 2015 or 16 that I was an anxious person and that this was sort of my anxiety was getting in the way of of my life and my ability to function but I was functional uh, up until I would say January of 2019 it got so bad that I had to get some professional care. My therapists were actually a huge reason why I ended up reaching out to my biological family and putting those pieces back together because through about a year of therapy, that was where we sort of determined that, okay, this is something that you really need to do. Mm-hmm. Because again, my anxiety, it had become a barrier, a, a massive barrier in my life. And generalized anxiety disorder is a very livable disease. Basically, like if you can create your life in such a way that you don't expose yourself to certain triggers, you can live pretty much symptom free. And that's basically how I've been now for the last six or seven months or so. I've changed my lifestyle so drastically uh, to feed into my wellness versus to feed into my anxiety. So lifestyle change, journaling, daily journaling, meditation, mindfulness practice, gratitude, daily affirmations, those sorts of things. Affirmations have been huge for me because I have really anxious thoughts and paranoid thoughts. So Mm -hmm. affirming sort of against those negative thoughts and forcing myself to think like you're you're calm, you're calm, you're calm, you're, you're, (laughs) you know. So when you say you had like really anxious thoughts or negative thoughts, are you, are we talking like, let's say, do you go to like a worst case scenario and then in your mind immediately? Yes. Like walking down the street, for example, like I used to actually spend a lot of time in like the event production world in San Francisco, going to like different music festivals and shows and things like that. And obviously that's, quite a intense environment for somebody that has an anxiety disorder, but I did it anyways. I was always very like, you know, you got to do it. You got to push yourself through. But when I would go, I would be like, I would have thoughts coming in. Like you're just going to, somebody's going to stab you. So, you know, like something awful is going to happen. Like you're just, you know, just terrible, terrible, awful thoughts. And this is like nonstop. You know, I had this paranoid feeling in my mind for years that somebody was going to shoot me at a, at an intersection in my car. Like, just sitting at a red light, somebody was going to come up and shoot me. And I had this like, this is so insane, but I had this paranoid feeling in my mind for years thinking that that was going to happen. And like, I, I almost like forgot <laughs> about that until we're talking this through now, but I just think about it now. And I'm like, man, that was such an unhealthy and just awful way to exist, you know? And what were some of the, I mean, was there a trigger for that? Were there any other underlying fears or that were playing into that? Or was it maybe more of a sense of like, I'm not safe or? Yeah, I 
I would say I also at the time was listening and paying attention to like a lot of negative media. Like I was watching, reading and listening to a lot of true crime, you know, that sort of thing. Not to say that I'm anti-true crime by any means, but if you have an anxiety disorder and you're paranoid about those kind of things, listening to murder mystery podcasts may not be the best idea. <laughs> may not you know? be the best thing for you. <laughs> exactly. Just tuning into the news, right? Like the news cycle especially back in like to 2016, 17 and how the news cycle was then with the shootings going on, insanity going on in society. Like it was all just feeding into my paranoia and anxiety. And like every input that I got was just something that made me even more scared, you know, to exist. So I've had to intentionally like scrub my life of those things and, you know, be very thoughtful about the media that I watch, the, the entertainment that I pay attention to, the the food that I eat, the, you know, everything, like my consumption in general is very important. And I think prioritizing those sort of things can, can be paramount, you know, for recovery and, and, and making those symptoms go away. Cause when you're in the worst of it, I mean, it feels like there's nothing that you can do. It feels like this is it. There's no coming back. But as, a, as somebody who's been on the worst side of it and who's now here, I can tell you that if you put the time and effort in, it can just make such an incredible difference in your life. And it's so worth sacrificing some of those things to be well. <laughs> and also it's a testament to your willingness and wanting to be better and to grow and to move out of that state and to recognize you have a have a power and you have um, the ability to, to change that somehow and seeking help and finding a therapist who could um, help you unravel some of that and then making the steps to connect with your bi uh, biological family. I mean, those are all really brave, thoughtful things. And, and it's uh, taking action, actually taking action. I think that's the biggest thing. What's next for you? What, what are your current goals with that? Um, how can people find you? Yeah. So my goals are, you know, to continue helping people. My bigger sort of mission is to build a better and more mindful workforce by that. Uh, I really want people to be working jobs that fulfill more than just a paycheck. You know, mm -hmm. I think jobs should be much more than that. That's awesome. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you, Sarah. Thank you for taking your time to share your story. I really enjoyed talking to you. I enjoyed talking with you too, Andrea. Thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Tuesdays with Andrea. There are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and I appreciate you making the time to listen to mine. If you like this show and want to know more, check out TuesdaysWithAndrea.com or please leave a review on iTunes or drop a line in the YouTube comment section. Until next time, please stay kind in your mind, nice on the web, and stay hella hopeful in your heart.